for coming through to Radio Days Africa. As radio broadcasters and professionals, I think this is a fantastic day for a programming boot camp. My name is Kabelo Mekwa. I'm a radio producer and uh, writer for the media online. I'll be a facilitator today. Um, our first speaker this morning is John Simons. He's an international radio consultant. He will be addressing three crucial um, topics when it comes to your breakfast show in particular. And we look forward to that. John, over to you. Cool. That's the short introduction. <clears throat> Thank you very much. And um, we've got a nice uh, intimate audience here today. Um, but before we start, I thought we'd take a look at some of the BBC's finest and uh, get their views on radio. <laughs> Radio is the, uh, the prince, the king, the emperor of mediums. Setting your imagination on fire, telling stories through sound, it's filling people's ears with happiness. It's a very personal medium, you really can get a connection with the audience and with one listener in particular. I love radio's power to capture you heart and soul. Working in radio is fantastic because actually it's only about the person you're interviewing and it's only about the music, it has nothing to do with you can do radio looking like this, I apologise. It's quite a personal thing between you and the listener, which is why I kind of fell in love with it, really. It's the most direct. You don't have all the paraphernalia that you've got with television. It's one big conversation with people all around the country. Pretty damn good, particularly if you're nosy, like me, and you like dancing. <laughs> when I look back at my school years, they were... Um, I never really felt like anybody really knew me very well, like the real me, you know, and I kind of stayed in the background. Keen, chatty. Happy. Bored, excited, because you can be both at the same time, frustrated. Curious, cheeky, conscientious. Music loving, radio loving, focused. Nosy, lazy, opinionated. Shy, awkward, sometimes amusing, that's two words. Bolshy, loud. Excitable. I would say, have a go. Curiosity is what everybody should have. It's the essential quality to making the world a better place. Why are things the way they are and can they be better? Everyone is interesting. Everyone has something to say. And you ignore people at your peril. I've worked in lots of places where lots of people are doing work experience or uh, they're students and they've just come to study. And the people who are just smiley and want to help, they, ca they work there forever. And the ones who are a bit surly or a bit like, sorry, that's not part of my job, they don't work. So basically, have a big smile. People have got to dream. And if you've got dreams as a kid, you hold on to the dreams. In every career, you hit great moments and you hit tough moments. And if you're open-minded and open-hearted, you'll get through the tough times and enjoy the good times. You've got to be prepared to work probably quite long hours for not very much money to start with, um, and then just kind of work your way up. Chat, collaborate, brainstorm, and don't think it's going to go according to plan because it will probably be different, but maybe better. Keep on keeping on. Because everybody I've ever met who's ever done that in any job, any occupation, has always got to where they want to go. So that's, that's the golden rule. Some of the uh, most famous BBC national radio presenters uh, in the UK, they're telling us what they think about radio. And uh, glad to see you made it. 
<laughs> a bit early. And uh, some of you guys are dressed like it's winter or something around here. This is just an English summer. This is actually a good English summer. <laughs> so, um, we're going to do my breakfast show health check, but before that, I thought I'd better tell you a little bit about me um, and what qualifies me to do this. Um, does anyone know who that is on the right? Anyone know? He's called Gil Scott Heron. Um, he died a few years ago. Uh, he was the godfather of hip-hop and the godfather of rap. And um, that's me on the left, believe it or not, back in about 1983. Uh, because for 20 years, I was just a jock, a DJ, a presenter, whatever you want to call it. And I never really wanted to be in management. In fact, I hated management. I didn't want to be a suit. I didn't like the suits. And here I am, I eventually became a suit. And, and that was because I got sick of working for idiots. So I thought, I'll be the idiot. And I became a PD. And these are all the stations that I worked at. I started at Radio T's, a local station. Uh, from there, I went to the BBC to Radio Nottingham. Um, at Century Radio, that's where I made the jump to being a PD, but I was also doing six shows a week as well. From there, I went to run the National Talk Radio Station. Uh, which has now become Talk Sport. Uh, from Talk Sport, I went to LBC, did some more talk radio. Uh, from there, I went to BBC Radio 2, which is the biggest um, non-commercial radio station. In fact, it's just the biggest station in Europe. It now has 15 million listeners. And uh, I worked there on music policy. And from there, I went to Real Radio and Smooth Radio, which was part of the Guardian Media Group. Uh, the Guardian newspaper, uh, which you may have heard of, uh, the, the liberal voice of the world is what they want to be known as, uh, but they did have a radio division for 14 years, and for 14 years I was their group program director, and these are the stations that we had. We had five big major market uh, real radios, which have now become Heart, because they sold out to Global. Uh, we had Smooth as well, and we had six of those. And they were all over the UK as well, some of them in the same markets as real. And um, Smooth uh, has got even bigger under Global's regime. And now I'm a consultant, and these are some of the clients that I work for. Um, in the Middle East, uh, in fact, I've just come from Singapore, where I work for MediaCore, um, worked for ARN in Australia, and for several UK groups, and I still do some work for the BBC as well. So, as you can see, I'm very old, and I've been around. And what I normally like to do is go around the room and find out about you guys, but we've probably got too many people in the room. But let's just do a hands-up. Who's a presenter in here? Is anyone a DJ? Yeah? Uh, producer? Station manager? The suits. You're not wearing suits. Uh, anyone else? Anyone in sales? Anyone in commercial production? Yes, there you go. So we've got a right cross-section of people here. And uh, I dare say, a cross-section of experience as well. So what's our aim? The goal? 
Well, that's the goal. Stand out or fail. I got my little radio. I have a little portable radio that I take everywhere with me because I always like to listen on FM. Um, because if you listen on any other medium or any other platform, you hear everything in delay. But on FM, you hear it in real time. And usually I'm monitoring and I want to find out whether you're going to hit the top of the hour or not. So uh, I went along the dial this morning. You have a lot of radio stations in Johannesburg. Does anyone know how many? I didn't count them. 20 plus? 30 plus? I know there's different tiers. There's community and there's commercial and goodness knows what else. And public service. But if you don't stand out in a crowded market, you will fail. You have to stand out and you have to stand for something. And failure sucks. Does anyone like failure? You know, I go around the world and I seem to come across a lot of people who are happy losers. They just like doing the job and they don't want to cause any ripples. They just want to get through the day and keep their job. And that's fine. But you ain't going to win if you're a happy loser. And I just like winning. I don't like playing a draw. I certainly don't like losing. I just like winning. But if you can dream it, you can do it. There's a guy who started with a little drawing of a mouse. A little drawing of a mouse. And he turned it into a multi-billion dollar empire. And he did it because he had a dream. And he saw it through. He had a vision. And that's all that good programming is about. Having a vision and making sure you communicate that vision to everyone within the radio station. How are we doing up there at the back? Everyone okay? You always get the guys at the back who just want to go on their phones, you know, play on their laptops, that kind of stuff. Feel free. <laughs> Happy losers. Breakfast show health check now. Here's 10 ways to tell if your breakfast show is the real deal. This is from my experience of working with some of the, the biggest and the best in the business. And my observations of what they all do. And they all have different personalities. They all have very different approaches to the style of radio that they're doing. But they all do all of these 10 things. These are the the one common thread throughout that. So here we go. Do you arrive 45 minutes prior to the show? Any breakfast show presenters in here or producers? What time do you get in? An hour before. Should be is the operative phrase there, isn't it? Okay, 45 minutes prior to the show starting and they have a post-show meeting every day. You do, you do that? Some people call that the autopsy. Not a phrase I really like because it sounds as though you're dead in the, in the water already. Um, but you do need, the, the, the days of walking in on the news out jingle or whatever you have at the top of the hour now, uh, are gone. You cannot do that. You need to be in there, and you need to get the team together, if there is a team, and make sure that everyone's on the same page, make sure everyone's 
doing the same things that they're supposed to be doing every day, bringing the same things to the show that they're meant to bring every day. Otherwise, you're going to get lost once you get on the air. So it's really important that you sit down and you check what's on the show and who's responsible for what and who's doing what before you get on the air. Do they have one major planning session each two weeks? We all get on this treadmill of preparing for the next day's show. We're always preparing for the next day's show. We've got to fill in the prep sheet, get it all sorted, make sure we've got a show for tomorrow. And we kind of forget about the things that are coming up next week, the things that are coming up next month. You know, what are we doing for the uh, Christmas period, for Halloween, thinking further ahead? So, good breakfast shows will get together once every couple of weeks or so, some do this every week, and make sure that they're on the same page for everything that's coming up way ahead of the show and making sure that they've, they've got things already in line. This is a big one for the producer, actually, or the program director, if you don't have a producer, to make sure that you get everyone together and think further ahead. Because that treadmill of every day, filling the next day's show, which you need to do, but can become very, very uh, disruptive to longer-term planning. <clears throat> Do they have a set of team rules? I have yet to go into a market where a breakfast show has got a set of team rules. And this is so important, especially when you've got multiple members in the team for the breakfast show. Um, you know, quite often it's a double header or a triple header. If you're Elvis Duran, it's a 15 header. And that's on a conservative day. So it's important that everyone knows what they're responsible for, what they have to bring to the party every day. And you've got to write it down so there's no ambiguity about it. You know exactly what you're responsible for, what you've got to bring. The producer knows what they've got to bring. The members of the team all know what they've got to do every day. So the guy who does the prank calls, I think prank calls are still pretty solid in this market then we need to know what his prank call is, how long it is, and he needs to know when he's required to do another one. If you do them every day, a lot of people do them every day, but some people just do them when they get a good one, then they need to know that. And that needs to be written down. Do they complete a planning sheet for the next day's show? I see various different things that are called planning sheets, but I like to see a whole show on one page. And then I, I can see where I'm going and just pick it up during the show. But nothing wrong with doing a, an hourly sheet with more detail on, but a one sheet for the whole show is also an essential part of putting together a great breakfast show. Do you call them breakfast shows here or morning shows? Breakfast. Do they get well-prepped listeners on the air every day? Um, it's not just about getting callers on the air for the sake of getting callers on the air. 
It's a case of getting great callers on the air that have something to say and stories to tell. And the best way to get to that is by prepping them before they go on the air. And prepping them before they go on the air can be as simple as turn the radio down. How many times do you hear a caller come on the air and then there's woo! Howl round everywhere. But also finding out a little bit about them. Making sure you can get straight into the caller. And you can hit them straight with what you want to talk about. And cutting out all the waffle like, good morning, how are you? No one's interested in that. Just get straight in there. And that's why we have to prep callers before we get on the air. Usually this will be the role of the producer. If you don't have a producer, you've got to do it while the song's on. But prep them before they get on the air. Do they prepare, and I mean really prepare, at least two great stories about their own lives for every show? If you're going to succeed in 2018, 2019 coming up soon, you need to be real. You need to come on the air and talk about stuff that is relatable to the listener, and you need to talk about stuff from your life. Gone are the days where you can just talk about the music. Music is important. And we want you to know about the music, but we also want to know about your life as well. And it's not the kind of thing where you go on and you say, hey, I've just bought a brand new Mercedes. Because that's just going to tick people off. But, hey, my new car that I got two weeks ago just broke down. What's going on? That's more relatable because people can identify with that. Two of those stories every day sounds like a tall order, but it can be from the last 24 hours, it can be from the last month, it can be from the last year, it can be from 20 years ago, depending, depending on how old you are, and you can freshen up an old story and put an angle on it. It can even, even be someone else's story that you twist around. And that's not lying, that's just called production values. <clears throat> Is the show becoming famous for something? This is the big one, really. If you can't become famous for something in your market, then you're not going to stand out. So, if I go out on the street and I say to someone, uh, the Jacaranda Breakfast Show, what will they say back to me? Oh, that's the show that does that. Or that's those guys who do whatever. And becoming famous can be anything. It can be for a benchmark, like a, a 10 grand vend. That was a vending machine that we, an old vending machine that we created that we put, it had 12 slots, 11 slots. We put candy bars and bags of crisps or chips and, and stuff that was fairly inconsequential in there. But in the 12th slot, we put 10,000 pounds. And then the call would come on and put A1 in, or B7, or whatever the number was, and see what the vending machine spat out at them. Obviously, there was a 12 to 1 shot that they were going to get a bag of crisps or a, or a candy bar. But we used to give away the 10 grand about once every two to three weeks. And that show became famous for that. Prank calls, you said that I was listening to something this morning, uh, on one of the stations in this market, so it's still popular. Not as popular in some parts of the world now. Um, 
but they are starting to come back, I think. The thing about prank calls is they've got to be funny. And I hear a lot of prank calls that simply aren't funny. So if you're doing prank calls and they're not funny, stop doing prank calls. <laughs> uh, rescues or charity events. This is where, this can be something simple. Um, it could be the local football team needs a new set of shirts. So you go on the air and you say, right, we're going to sort out them a new set of football shirts because they can't afford to get them themselves. Or it could be something big. Um, we've got a lot of uh, fires in, a, in the UK at the moment because, believe it or not, we haven't, we're having a really hot summer. Uh, and some people's houses are getting destroyed. So it could be helping people to get rehomed, something as big as that. So re rescues can be something that you become famous for. Um, it was a similar situation in San Diego a few, a few years ago. And uh, one of the, the, the morning shows in San Diego with, with Jeff and Jay uh, went on the air and they raised a million dollars to help people uh, who were, had lost their homes. And obviously they became not just famous, they became infamous for that. So become famous for something. Number eight already. Do they respect the music? It's really difficult on breakfast because you've got to impose your personality in a very crowded environment. And it is so crowded, you've got loads of commercials, you've got loads of utilities, you've got the travel, sport, the news, the weather. You've got so many things to, to put in there. You can actually do a show without saying much. And that, you've got to fight to impose your personality. And one of the, the quickest ways to find more time is to cut the songs. So, I wouldn't say I'm a big fan, but if you get to that point, breakfast show edits are really useful, where you get them properly edited down. And so you take a five or four or five minute song and take it down to two and a half, three minutes. Um, but hacking songs, where you come over the top of them, just really annoys the listener. So if you're finding that you're having to do that, then find a solution. And breakfast show edits are probably the only solution. Or start taking songs out. Uh, I think you know, a lot of morning shows now are down to two or three, four songs an hour because they've got so much content that they want to do. And if the great content will always trump a great song, but it has to be great content. It has to be a great bit. But, but really, hacking the songs, not great. Number nine. Do they do a planned hook and tease going into every break? Do you care if the listeners hang around? Hooking and teasing is probably one of the most difficult things to do well and one of the easiest things to do badly. And everyone thinks it's really easy, and it's not. The only successful way to get command of hooking and teasing is to script them until you've got it in your psyche. And you've got to put something out there to dangle so the people will hang around. So, for example, the World Cup's going on at the moment. If you didn't know the, the, the result of the game uh, from last night, you can say, at 93 minutes, Belgium and Japan were two all. 
But it didn't finish like that. I'm going to tell you more in just a few moments at 10 to 8. That's a hook and a tease. But most people think teasing is a hook and a tease. And just telling people what's coming up doesn't help people hang around. You've got to give them something to hang around for. And why do we do this? Anyone got the answer? Do, do you know why we do hooking and teasing? It's not a trick question. Who said TSL? That's what it's about. Increasing your time spent listening. And why do we want them to do that? Well, time spent listening multiplied by your cum is your market share. And that gives you a better market share. So we don't do it just because we think it's good to do, and we don't do it because we like it. We do it because it increases TSL. And that, if you can get one listener to listen for one more minute, that's a minute that you wouldn't have had before. Now think, if you've got 300,000 listeners to your morning show, and you get them to listen for three minutes longer, how that's going to impact on your market share. So I think if I'm right, that's nearly a, mil a million minutes. But maths was never my strong suit. But getting people to listen longer is something that can grow your audience. And you know, it's so much easier to get someone who is already listening to your station to listen a little bit longer than it is to get a brand new listener. Brand new listeners cost a fortune. Marketing is expensive in every major market in the world. And getting a brand new listener is one of the most expensive things you can get. So getting your existing listeners to listen a little bit longer is much easier. And finally, do they bring a sense of soul proper to the show every day? Listen to tomorrow for the next installment. This, this is the biggie, trying to get people to come in every day to listen to your show. As a presenter, you like to think everyone listens to the show from 6 to 10 every morning, Monday to Friday. Well, they don't. They might listen for a couple of days, maybe three days, 20 minutes, half an hour tops. That might be fragmented. It might be 10 minutes at half past seven. It might be another five minutes when they get... Uh, uh, into the kitchen after they've been in the bathroom or it might be another 15 minutes in the car on the way to work. But if you can become famous and you can engender that sense of I've got to listen to that show because I'm going to miss something if I don't, people will come back day after day. And again, that increases, not only increases your cumin, it also increases your TSL and therefore your market share. But it also makes, if you're a presenter, it makes you more secure because you know people are coming back day after day to listen to your show. So that's the 10 things that all great breakfast shows do. Did anybody score 10? We're supposed to, we're going to go around the room at the, after the, the, the next bit and we're going to try and work out how many you got. Usually people say, oh, we got six or seven. And then when we dig deep, they normally get about three or four. But if you do all ten, you will increase 
your breakfast show audience dramatically within a week, within two weeks. I used to be one of these programmers who say, oh, it takes at least 18 months for a new breakfast show to bed in. And I now think that that is just a cop-out. Because you can improve a breakfast show 100% in a week if you put your mind to it. It's whether or not you're motivated to do that. But we'll go around the room a little bit later on, um, especially the guy at the back who's a producer. See how many he got. Right. Here's a, a few more things that go along with the top ten. Does your breakfast show cover off these four steps in this order? Prepare. Prep. We all do prep, right? Everyone's doing their prep after they come off the air. You walk into the office where all the jocks are, what are you doing? I'm doing my prep. He's watching something on YouTube, usually. <clears throat> He's doing his prep, though. Uh, prepare means gathering materials from your imagination, from your community, your region, your universe, your family, your life. Combining that material in new and interesting and compelling and engaging and entertaining ways. Always gather more material than you think you need. You use it all, though not necessarily in the way that you imagine and put them in a planning and prep document. Life is prep. Yes, we fill in a prep sheet. We go through all the stuff, we fill all the bits for the next day. But whatever you're doing in your life, it's all prep. Anything is a topic. If you're on the air tomorrow morning, you go and you say, well, I was at the university yesterday, this thing, and this crazy English guy was up there telling me to do all sorts. What a piece of work he was. You know, anything can be prep. Anything can be a topic. So you've got to be alert to that at all times. Now, we all have smartphones now with that little notepad thing in it. Because you used to have to carry a piece of paper around with you or a menu or something like that, and write it on the back of a menu. But now you can just put it in here. You can even voice it on WhatsApp, send it to yourself, whatever. But keep vigilant at all times. Think, can, is that a bit for the show? Is that a better bit for the show than we put in the prep document? Right, I'm going to have that. And keep a list of them. I could never go, go on the air. I only did breakfast for three years as a presenter, and I've got to say, I was not an early morning person. Uh, and I found it really difficult. But I could not get to sleep at night unless I had ten topics written on a piece of paper. And that was my little comfort zone. I'm never going to use 10 topics in a show. So I've got 10 topics I can go to sleep and get some rest. Because I know I'll be all right tomorrow morning when I have to do the show. And that's the, the, the secret. Always have a, about that many things when you only need that many things. <clears throat> Rehearse. Um, the first job I ever had at the BBC was at a BBC local radio station in Nottingham. Uh, the BBC don't call studios studios, they call them cubicles. It must be one of those things that goes back years, I don't know. It sounds like you're going into the toilet. But anyway, when I arrived they said, oh you're in cubicle 1A. 
And the show before you is in cubicle 1B. And your, uh, uh, you have a cubicle 1A available to you for an hour before the show for rehearsal. Now, I come from commercial radio. I said, rehearsal? What's rehearsal? You just go on and you talk. Well, rehearsal covers a multitude of sins. And, and actually, it took me a while to get it, but when I, when I did get it, I realized how valuable rehearsing was. Real professionals lock their material down so tight that it sounds like it's coming off the top of their heads. We had a really famous double act in the UK, uh, who were the biggest thing ever in the 70s and the 80s. Uh, and uh, they used to do a, a big Christmas show every, every year. And everything just looked as though it was coming off the top of their head. And then, at one point in my career, I, I was working for the guy who used to produce their show. And he completely disillusioned me, because he said, they used to rehearse every show, not just the Christmas show, for two weeks before it was recorded. And all the ad-libs and all the throwaway lines were put into the script for the next day's rehearsal. And then if they came up with something better, they'd put it in the script for the next day's rehearsal. Until they had it all locked down, after they'd done that show ten times before they recorded it. And it all looked as though it was just coming off the top of their heads. Now, rehearsal for radio people can cover a, a few different ways of actually getting it locked down for you. You can do it before you go on the air. That can be reading scripts that you've got to go, you read out, uh, making sure you've got them locked down and you're not reading it word for word and you're putting your own personality into it, uh, and reading it out aloud. It can be during the show, while the song's on, it could be making sure that if there's three of you in the studio, right, I'm going to start with this, then you come in and do that, and then you come in and do this. Or it could be rehearsing a caller. Right, the caller, I want you to come on the air, and I want you to say, good morning, John, it's great to be here. Or whatever, on 95FM. So rehearsal is something that we do do in radio. Sometimes we don't realize we're doing it, but it's really important. And it actually makes your show sound more real. It doesn't make it sound more plastic, it makes it sound more real, if you do it well. Less is more. A fundamental way to make communication tighter, more effective and more powerful. All the great writers that you know throw away ten times more words than actually make it in the final book. Um, has anyone ever written... Well, we all write blogs. Has anyone ever written a book? You've just finished a novel. And the first draft, compared to the last draft, was what difference? Out. Exactly. <laughs> Well, you're going to have to tell us what it's about now. Yeah? Mm. Well, we all want to buy that now, don't we? This is going to be on the bestsellers list. Yeah? 
Yeah. And have you voiced that? <laughs> we call it word economy in radio. And it's something that gets bandied around a lot. It's basically this. Don't use ten words when two will do. And we get carried away. Sometimes we get so carried away in the creative moment, we forget where we are. And again, the producer is the guy really who needs to pull people back in line when, that gets carried, when you get carried away like that. But wordy economy is something you have to work on at all times. Radio, you know, I've been radio now for, well, next year I'll have been in radio for 40 years. And you never stop learning. You never come out of that studio and think, yes, 100% of what I did today, I couldn't have done it any better. Never. If you do, that's get out. Because you didn't. If you think you did, get out. Because we never get it 100% right. But editing in your head, making sure you've used the minimum amount of words for the maximum amount of communication is integral to what we do. And then performing, and that's the fun part. Am I right or wrong? The bit that's really fun is when you're in the end, on, in the studio, and you're having fun, and you know, it's not doing all the paperwork, it's not doing all the stuff that you have to do, all the meetings you have to do these days. It's just being on the air and that red light comes on and you have fun. So never forget that. We're in a fun business. It's the most fun. I think one of the BBC guys at the top there, John Humphreys, uh, who's been on the BBC forever, he said there's so much paraphernalia involved in TV that we don't have in radio. You can have an idea in the shower on the, on the morning and go on the air and have it on the air within an hour if it's a great idea. And if you run it past the program director and he, and he or she is happy with that. I'm going to do a bit about the breakfast show producer now as well. This is the next session now. We've just segued here into, into the new session. Right? <laughs> the breakfast show producer has a bigger vision of the show than the host does. Um, it's really the PD of the morning show, but you need to be trained how to do that. So the program director sees the, the, the whole of the canvas. The part of the canvas that the breakfast show is on is still a big part of that canvas, and that's the bit that you paint on. But you need to be trained. And the breakfast show producer can relieve the pressure on you once the investment of trust, mindsets, and thinking is established. But that takes time. In a lot of markets, I see a lot of young kids have just put in as producers. We don't seem to value producers for a breakfast show in commercial radio. And really, they're one of the most valuable assets that you can have if you can find a good one. Um, the trouble is, the good ones become program directors. 
<laughs> so hang on to them as long as you can as a breakfast show producer. And the producer has an ego as well. And it can be more sensitive than the host. But you know, we all have ego. We wouldn't be in radio if we didn't have ego. And the secret to, to that is making sure that you keep control of your ego. Ego is good, as long as it, you're in control of it. Now, I'm a very simple guy. I like to see things in simple terms. So, this is the most simple way I can describe what a great morning show does. It's a series of one. All you've got to think about is one. One thing per quarter hour that commands attention. One item per hour that causes a response. One thing per day that is shareable. One thing per quarter, that's every three months, that listeners remember. And one thing per year that makes you legendary. If you can do all of those ones, you'll become number one in your market. It's as simple as that. By the way, I see a lot of people taking pictures of the slides. Just give me your email address and I'll email, email you a PDF. It'll be a lot easier. Save the memory on your phone. Right, let's go through these. Let's get you guys to do a bit of work now. One thing per quarter hour that commands attention, what could that be? Anyone? Come on, we're all in radio. This is the easy one. A contest, yeah, could be. Sorry? A call, a caller, yeah. Could be the weather. There's a big snarl up on the, on the main road in your area. Could, could be the travel. It's just, that's, a, it, that's the simple one. Something that commands attention, that people need. Oh, I need to know that. I need to know how cold it's going to be when I step outside into the Johannesburg winter. Which is very similar to the London summer. Uh, one item per hour that causes a response. Yeah? A call to action, what does that mean? <laughs> Look, can we, we, we do not do management bollocks speak in these meetings, right? We don't run it up the flagpole, we don't go over our skis, we don't hit the ground running, right? We don't do any of that bollocks. One item per hour that causes a response. Come on, what, what could it be? What could that thing be that causes a response? Could be a contest, couldn't it? That makes you call in. Could be one of your topics that makes someone call in. Think about it. What causes a response? Could be primal. Doesn't have to be, but it could be. Uh, does everyone know what primal means? Right, this gentleman's going to tell us. <laughs> what does primal mean? No, no, um, 
And so it's a, that inner emotion, something that, you know, and it can be about a relationship, that's very primal. It, can, it could be about food, that's primal. It, it could be anything like that. But it's really something that, that gets a connection with the audience and makes them respond. Okay, we're getting, we're getting to the, the harder ones now. One thing per day that is shareable. What is that? Now, bear in mind, we said we we're getting rid of management bollocks. This is that thing that I hate, but people say all the time, a water cooler moment. Who in this room has ever had a water cooler moment? I've not, 40 years. I've never had a water cooler moment. Most of the radio stations I worked in never even had a water cooler. It's one of those things that we talked about earlier when I said you go out on the street and you just say the name of your radio station in the morning show to the person and they say something back. That's the station that. So it's, it's that sort of response that you want. Hey, did you hear those guys on Highfeld this morning that we're talking about? That's what we're talking about, shareable. Why do we want things that are shareable? Well, I'll tell you. Because... Word of mouth is the most powerful form of marketing that you can ever have. And it doesn't cost a bean. Because personal recommendation is still the best thing for any product, never mind radio. So it's something that is shareable. Hey, those guys, they're crazy, they were talking about this. Or, hey, they were really serious today, they were talking about this topic, which... You know, it was something I would never have thought they would talk about. Now we're getting down to it. One thing per quarter that listeners remember. Something over the last three months. Well, remember we talked about the planning sessions that look further ahead. These are invariable, invariably story arcs that run over a period of time on the show. So, for example, one of the morning shows that I looked after, uh, a, a woman came on the phone, and it, she came on for a contest, but it came out that her son had severe autism. And she'd heard that if her son could swim with dolphins, that it would be something that would unlock some of his emotions, and it would help him to live a, a, a more normal life. So the guys on the air said, well, we're going to arrange this. We don't know how we're going to arrange this, but we're going to arrange it. So then that was, that was at the, near the end of a show. The next day they came on the show and they said, right, we found somewhere where you can go and swim with dolphins. You, get, you, can, you can do it in Florida. Uh, this was in Scotland. So we had to get them from Scotland to Florida. So the first thing was someone from an airline phoned up and said, we'll give you some free flights. And then someone phoned up and said, uh, we'll, we'll get, we've got a villa in Florida, you can have the villa. Uh, so that was the next day. The day after, we'd got them out there, we'd got them somewhere to stay, but we hadn't got them swimming with the dolphins. So we called Disney World, and we did this all on the air. Uh, we recorded it, obviously. And, and we got them to give them some uh, free sessions to swim with dolphins. And then... 
As, as the week went by, we added loads of other things to it. We got them some spending money, uh, we got them some other trips to Universal and things like that. And it all ran over a whole week. Now, we could have easily done something that ran over a few more weeks. Well, it did, because we called them up. They went to Florida a couple of weeks later. And we called them up and we talked to them every day when they were in Florida. And then they came back. Two weeks later, we called them all in. How's the young, the young kid? Has, has it helped? Yes, it really has helped. It's made a big difference. So in all, the story arc ran for three, for three weeks on the air over an eight-week period. And it's that sense of soap opera getting you coming back every day. So that's something that people will remember over a longer period of time, like a, a three-month period. And what, this is the biggest one. The one thing per year that makes you legendary. Well, that can be anything from someone like uh, Elvis Duran, who uh, is brutally honest with his, his listeners and will talk about anything at all. Uh, he's, he's legendary for that. Uh, Howard Stern for being outspoken, um, for being outrageous, uh, for being cruel. Um, for being the highest paid DJ in the world. Could be something, something like that. So being legendary for something. Uh, Jeff and Jer in San Diego for helping people. Um, Chris Tarrant when he was on the breakfast show in, in London on Capitol for giving away hundreds of thousands of pounds which eventually became Who Wants to Be a Millionaire? It takes... It takes time to find that about being legendary. So, I'm going to take a little bit of a break now, and uh, you're going to see a little bit of Howard Stern. You don't. And you don't know me either, evidently. No, but so but I play around with you don't but, know. But your job is to stay under control. I'm, and then I can't do you my job. You cannot throw people. You cannot. I can't throw guarantee you I will not do that again. All right. Well, then you can't be here. Then I won't be here anymore. You can't, Art. Okay. You can't I, act that Helen, way in business. I love business. you, but I can't do it anymore. Yeah, okay. I'm an out-of-control person. Uh, all right, then, that, then you can't be here. I, if you can't control throwing things I resign. People, I'm sorry. I can't do it anymore. Then I accept. Art, I did a terrible thing, but you can't throw things at people. I love you, Howard. I love you, too. I don't know why you have to throw things at people. I can't guarantee I'm not going to do that again. But you've got to. It's not fair. No one who works here wants to be thrown, you know, I, get stuff thrown. I understand. And they shouldn't rob my money. I don't think, listen, that's an accusation between you and Teddy. Teddy says he doesn't feel he's robbing your money. That's between you guys. And if you said to me, Howard, listen, I have a beef with Teddy, I'd help you with it. All right. I would Why do would I, you, I'd, cook, I'd call you off the air and go to yeah. hell. You don't want to talk to anybody off the air. I told Why you would I bother time. you with I've that? Called you, I've called you many times. Why would I bother you with my problems with Teddy? This is, I'm sorry I started yelling at him in the hall and brought it into your world. I didn't mean to do that, but we have issues here at the, you heard me argue, but so I you did, brought it into I your didn't world. I hear you argue. I would never call you off the air to bug you about Teddy. You got two million things on your mind. You know me, but I would never do that. I don't call you to bother you with issues I have with money or anything. I'm not going to bug you about my issues with Teddy. But Teddy's a kid. Uh, right. he's no, he's a not kid. such a kid anymore. He's like 30. All right, but I'm saying, you're his boss. 
If you hate the way he's behaving. Okay, but if you hate the way He'll probably sue me now because he's hurt emotionally. Well, no. I don't think that that it got to that. But the fact that... Pussy generation. I'm not a good person, Howard. Yes, you are. Stop with that. I got to leave, buddy. All right. I got to leave. Okay. Fair enough. I love you. I love you, too. I love you. Why don't you just go take it easy in the green room and then we'll talk, okay? You don't have to leave. I think he should go home. All right. He's got to go calm down. And I think home is where he needs to be right now. (sighs) That was awful. That was just awful. Well, what do you think? Was that real? Was it a setup? I don't know. Um, I don't think it matters whether it's real. It was just great radio, wasn't it? It had everything that we've just been talking about for about the last 40 minutes. It had everything. You're going to come back the next day to see whether the guy's back on the show, aren't you? See what happened to Teddy. Whether they managed to work it out. Um... I think the giveaway that it probably was a setup was the great camera angles. <laughs> you saw everything. But then again, Howard's shows are all visualized now. So it could have been real. But it, doesn't, it really doesn't matter. Um, and I think the, the most valuable lesson you can learn from that was how they turn nothing into something. Nothing. Two guys had fallen out in the office before they went on the air. Right, what are we going to do with that? We're going to make that into a huge bit on the, on the air. And we're going to make sure that it drives people to come back the next day. But it, look, it looked real. It sounded real. It was great radio. But did they have a producer the next day? Because that was the producer. I dare say he did come back in the next day. It's a very good friend of mine, who you probably know, Dennis Clark, uh, who now uh, is the Vice President of Talent Development for iHeart in the US. Uh, But he was the producer of the Rick D Show. Uh, He was the producer, or the executive producer, of Ryan Seacrest's show, and still works with Ryan and uh, a, a lot of the other big talents at iHeart. Uh, and this is Ellen, who is the sidekick of, or was the sidekick of, uh, of Ryan Seacrest. So this is everything that I've learned from Dennis Clark. <laughs> so I'm giving it away now. Uh, Dennis is probably the best producer that I have ever had the pleasure to meet. And so I sat down and picked his brains about what makes a great producer. He or she is the enabler. They make things happen. Making sure everything is in the right place at the right time and the team have everything they need to do a great show. How how many morning shows in here have producers? Was it just the one at the back? And most of the morning shows, they don't have a producer? Yeah? 
Sorry, you, you're, you're a PD. Does your morning show have a producer? Yeah? No, you're not a PD. What are you then? Station manager. All right. But your morning show still doesn't have a producer. No. <laughs> well, then the presenter has to fill that gap along with the program director. And it's the person who makes things happen. Who, when you have that idea, that it comes to life on the air. And that's the primary goal of the producer. The second function is one which comes with experience. They're the team leader. A producer can be a really useful conduit for the station manager or the program director uh, and sits in between them and the talent, the presenters. So they've, they've got to be They've got to be two-faced in some ways. They've got to be close to talent, and then they've got to be the enabler for the, for the management team. So it's a pretty tricky position that you find yourself in, because you've got to keep the suits happy, and you've got to keep the talent happy as well. And that takes time to learn that. And that's why I said earlier on about putting young kids in on breakfast, because we need to have a producer or make the intern the producer. I'm not saying that that can't work, because actually that's how Dennis started. He was the, he was the uh, intern on the Rick D show uh, back in the 80s. But it takes time to learn those skills. <clears throat> and the second function can't be achieved on day one. It takes a long time. How many have guests on the show? Guests that come in on the show? Again, when I was going along the dial this morning, there was, there was a lot of talking with people. Because uh, I, I, you know, I don't know the market, I didn't know whether they were guests or whether they were just people who were on the show anyway. So the producer has to decide with all the stakeholders if a guest interview should be part of the show. And then you need to consider what is the availability, is it already well covered by the competition. Uh, in a lot of markets you get junkets where movie stars or pop stars are going around every radio station. Well, that doesn't mean that you don't do that interview. It means you've got to find a more creative way of executing that interview. And is there a new way of doing it? Should guests be live? A lot of them are pre-recorded. Um, but live is usually best, but more risky. And what kind of guest and how often? You know, guests can't be a substitute for weak presenters. We often say, right, you know, if the show's not sounding great, right, well, let's get loads of guests in. You're far better to grasp the nettle and say, this is not working, we need to find someone better. Because guests will not fix it. But if you have great presenters and great guests, that's a, that's a winning combination. <clears throat> Good presenters wouldn't dream of letting anyone else do their research. A lot of presenters wouldn't dream of doing any research. <laughs> so an interview guest may have to have the research done by the producer or someone else in the team. Um, when I did, I did mid-mornings on, on the BBC in Nottingham, I used to have to do 40 interviews a week. There's no way I could research all of those myself. So you have to rely on other people to do the research and 
put together a, what's called a Q and a question line for you. And if you work with people day in, day out, they find the, the angle that you would normally want out of that interview, and you start to think in a similar way. And a good producer leaves nothing to chance. You'll always make sure a prep document is written with a selection of questions. That's what I call a Q and question line. Is it helpful to have a discussion with the presenter? Absolutely. If, if the presenter hasn't done the research, the person who has done the research should sit with the presenter for a, at least five minutes and walk them through the interview. How much can you expect from presenters? I played with replacing Reagan with Trump, but I just couldn't do it. Um, but this is a, a classic example. Two incredibly famous presidents of the United States, both completely different uh, styles of presentation. Um, I don't think Trump has got any style of presentation, which is why I didn't put him up. Ronald Reagan was a, a Hollywood B-movie actor, but boy could he read a script and make it sound convincing. Uh, and now, looking back on history, he's been seen as one of the better presidents, I believe. I could be wrong. But he's, he's seen as you know, Reaganomics and all, all that stuff as well. But I, mean, I'm not, I don't want to get into politics, but from a presentation point of view, he knew how to pitch whatever he needed to pitch, and he knew how to connect with the person that he was trying to connect with. But he was a Hollywood B-movie actor. Barack Obama, one of the greatest orators of our time. Yes, we can. He was brilliant. He could make any speech come to life and, and take ownership of it and convince people. History will determine whether we will see him as a, being a, a great president or not, but you cannot shy away from the fact that he was a great orator and could communicate incredibly well. Two completely different styles. A huge academic brain, B-movie actor. So you could expect different types of things from different presenters. R&R, &R, built in rest and recovery. I always used to make it a point of not sitting down with a breakfast show until at least half an hour after the show. Let them decompress, let them come down. They buzz in after they come off the air. They've usually got stuff to do like making promos and stuff like that. Just let them chill out for a period before you sit down and talk to them about the show, that day's show and look ahead to the next day's show and look further ahead if you have one of those planning meetings. That's pretty much common sense. The other bit of R&R, which a lot of people don't get, is during the show. And a perceptive producer will see when they've just had a tough interview or a caller that hasn't gone the right way or something that has worked incredibly well and they're all buzzing, just to leave them alone during that next record that comes on after that bit.
sorry, I keep calling them records, you know, it's old fashioned, but, uh, song, right? So you, you, the producer can generate R&R &R within the show. So they've just done a hugely creative bit. Let, the, let them have five minutes just to, to breathe and to relax a little bit. Then come back and say, right, the next thing we're doing is this. Are you ready for that? Um, and that's the bit that people forget about. The producer, <laughs> we're just doing a great bit. Right now, let's get on to the next bit. Sometimes you just have to let them have a little bit of a breather during the show. <clears throat> you can see I like top tens. I'm a radio guy, I like top tens. The top ten things for each show. The good producer has a complete overview of the show. They know what the most important thing on the listener's mind is this morning in your town. You know, we talked about having a, like, a pre-show huddle before you go on the air. The one question you've got to ask every day is, what is Johannesburg talking about this morning? And if your show's not reflecting that, then you're not doing your job. What is Johannesburg talking about this morning? Now, it might be something that's pretty heavyweight, and you might want to leave that in the news, but still identify with it so you know what it is. They bring a positive attitude and a smiling face, and they leave any problems at the door. It's showbiz. You can't shuffle in as the producer like this. Oh man, I had a rough night last night. That's not that you've got to be, hey, I'm ready to go. The presenters may shuffle in and say they've had a rough night last night. It's the producer's job to lift them and get them ready to go on the air. They've checked out any of the follow-ups from yesterday's shows. You know the, the thing that was talking, the story arc I was talking about, where we sent the family to Florida? All of that had to be followed up every day to make sure everything was in place that we said was going to happen on the air that day, so we, it was all sorted out, ready for the next day. And that's the producer's job. And great producers are bursting with ideas for today's show, and they keep a stockpile in a notebook, uh, very analog. Uh, now it would be, uh, there's a Google sharing thing that you can do, and anyway, whatever digital way you want to do it, but you keep a stockpile of stuff. So you're never caught out. <clears throat> oh. Right, number six. All good producers have a little red book. Again, that's probably a digital option now, uh, with contacts. But you, you need some form of, of great contacts. So you can just phone someone up if you need to talk about uh, nucle nuclear fusion. Right, oh, I know a guy at the university who can talk about that. If you're going to talk about um, uh, the latest trend in pets, right, I know a guy at the local dog pound or something like that, could be anything, but you've got to have a contact list. If you've edited a guest interview, take time to prepare a properly typed sheet. Uh, again, this can be done as an email and sent to the presenter the night before, uh, but it's got the intro and the outro on, so he knows what's going to be said. One of my pet hates is they introduce something that's pre-recorded and the presenter says the same words that are at the beginning of the pre-recorded bit. It just sounds stupid. And you hear it time and time again. Um, and actually, you know, the, the BBC is one of the biggest uh, 
people who do that sort of thing, especially in their news bulletins. Uh, not national BBC, local BBC. Uh, be the conscience of the programme, using the records to tell the presenters any issues that arise, but saving post-mortems till after the show. Have a good knowledge of the music or an easy way of finding anything out. Well, you, you can find out so much stuff on the internet these days that you couldn't years ago. So that's an easy one now. And create a good vibe in the studio. Um, one of the most difficult things is if you've got two people that you've put on the air and they don't get on. Has anyone had to work in that kind of environment? One of the shows that I've been, uh, that I've been working on, I won't say where it was because it would identify them. It was a couple who'd been, who were married and they were now divorced and they were still on the air together. I know, it was a nightmare. Absolute nightmare. It actually, on the air, it sounded fine. But as soon as they'd done a bit and they came to a song, they wouldn't speak to each other. Uh, the atmosphere in the office was horrendous. Uh, we did eventually split them up. Uh, but they'd been together on the air as a divorced couple for two years. It was horrendous. Uh, so trying to create a good vibe in the studio, that's a challenge if you're in that situation. Assessing each show. Okay, we're on the downward slope now. The studio is a bad place to give feedback, so only do it in an emergency. If they said something horrendous that's going to get you into legal hot water, you're going to have to address that in the studio. If not, it can probably wait. If you think they, they might repeat it and say it again, you've got to sort it out in the studio. If not, it can wait. Mistakes and bad practice shouldn't be ignored, but it's better dealt with in an office environment. Uh, difficult meetings should be held away from the general view in private. One of the trendy things at the moment is glass walls. Offices with glass walls or meeting rooms with glass walls. And we close the door and we think, well, that's it, no one can hear. Well, yes, they can, um, especially if voices get raised. But equally, because the walls are glass and there's lots of animated people like this, then people can see that something not good is going on in that room. So if you've got offices with glass walls, be aware. Praise publicly and criticize in private. Do we have anyone here from YFM? Oh, good. I was doing a, a boot camp for the BBC from the YFM studios uh, last November, uh, and I always use this bit uh, so it was quite appropriate there. Uh, it's even more appropriate now because there's no one here from YFM. Hi, my name is Mansui, uh, better known as Mansui Pulse and Radio. Um, I'm a producer and co-host on YFM's The Tap Mansion. I started as a newsreader on campus radio, moved into being a producer and then onto doing technical production and I ended up having a show. So, the guy that I work with on YFM is the guy that I've always worked with since Varsity, so I started in Varsity. I get to work at 10, I prep for the show. Basically what prepping is, is because I'm a content producer, the creative producer of the show, I come up with all the content and everything that we're going to be talking about in the show and I find interactive angles of putting them out on, on radio so that people can interact with us. At 3pm, I go home. 
I always say radio chose me and I didn't choose radio because I was in varsity studying psychology, something very different from what I'm doing right now. I just fell into it and next thing I know, YFM called and I moved from campus radio to YFM. I like that I, I remain myself. I'm, I'm very forward and I'm very confident. People get to get my personality over, over the radio and I don't have to be anything else. I get paid to do what I love and have fun. There's a lot of radio stations and you find that with content, if you're not a, create, a, a creative producer, you might be repeating things that other people have already spoken about. I try very hard to stay away from that. I feel like at my age, it's enough. Um, obviously with experience, because I don't have that much experience in commercial radio. With experience, I'd expect more money and I'm pretty sure that it will come. But at the moment, at my age, I get paid fair. It's six because I try not stress about everything that I do. That's why I've, I'd rather prep the night before and then prep again in the morning to reduce the stress. Yeah, I didn't study to do radio, but you just basically need to be a very disciplined person because there's a lot of things that could go wrong while you're on air. And you need to know how to handle things. You need to know how to manage things. You need to know everything. You need to know how to deal with people. You have to have people skills. Go to school, learn how to deal with people, be a critical thinker. If you want to get into radio, expose yourself to radio, mentor people. If you want to study radio, do that. I support that all the way. Shadow people, shadow shows, get a mentor, get into it, kill it. It's, it's amazing, it's fun, it's the best job under the sun. I don't want to lie, you have fun and the perks are amazing. I actually don't think she's at YFM anymore, but um, this is what, this is, I used to be of the philosophy that um, producers shouldn't want to be presenters. But now so many producers get on the air uh, that you can't really stick to that rule, I don't think. But the producer themselves got to decide whether they want to be a producer who eventually becomes a presenter or a producer who just wants to produce. Uh, she obviously wanted to be a presenter as well. But great presenters are usually good producers as well. Ooh. Why that disappeared? Anyway, the, the bottom line is we were going to go around the scores on the doors and find out. Is that that gone? It's, there's only one slide, it's okay. Thank God that happened at the end. <laughs> How many did you get out of 10 when we did the breakfast show health check? Realistically, four. She's being honest. Yeah. yeah. So if you do those other six things, that means. You're, you're going to increase your, the quality of your show by more than 100%. So wouldn't that be something? Be yeah, it would be great. Who else was there? Some of you guys just come in, so... Let's go to the guy at the back. How many? Yeah. Which were the big ones that you weren't doing that you think, I've got to go back tomorrow and I've got to fix that? Mm. Being available the day before and on the day as well, and, and the two weeks planning ahead, rather than just reacting to what's happening right now, not getting a chance to plan ahead for Halloween and Valentine's Day. How many are suffering from the curse of Instagram? <laughs> a lot of presenters can make more money out of Instagram now than they can on the air. 
So they come off the air, I'm off, I've got to do this because I've got to go get, the, get this out on Instagram. So that, that happens a lot now when I'm going around and I, I see that. You know, and some of these kids have got 100,000 uh, people following them on Instagram and they're making amazing money out of it. Uh, there's one that I work with in Singapore, she's got 350,000 followers on Instagram. But you've got to remind them the reason that they, that they, that they got the popularity on Instagram was because they were on the radio. And that was the primary function. And if they forget the primary function, the Instagram thing might fade away. So, did anyone get five out of ten? No? Anyone get six? You got five? You got five. What, out of the other five, which is the big one that you think that you need to fix? Sorry? Planning, yeah, longer term planning. Okay, they, you get stuck on that treadmill of t tomorrow's show, which is important, but thinking further ahead. Anyone get six? No? Yeah? Oh. You, you'll be close to being number one in the market. Yeah. <laughs> which station? Right. So out of the four that you didn't get, which is the most glaringly obvious one to fix? I think the, the team rules one, the fact that we need to be written down. Yeah. I think that needs to be yeah, then there's no ambiguity. Mm. No one can say, well, I didn't know I had to do that. Well, hang on a minute, let's have a look at the team rules. We all agree to this. The, the, the big thing with team rules is getting everyone together and getting everyone to buy into them. So that it, there's no point in just you know, one person deciding what the team rules are going to be. The whole team have got to decide what the team rules are. And they've all got to buy it, and they've all got to accept that they are responsible for what is on that set of rules. So, uh, well done. It's, that's part of it, that, that can be part of it, although role definition is a completely separate session that you, you, you want to do. And role definition is really easy if it's a male and a female, because it's dead easy to work out who's who. If you've got two males, role definition much more difficult, you do need to, to work on that. Uh, if you've got anything more than a three or four part breakfast show, Role definition really comes, becomes more important. Um, it could be on the rules, but it's, it's, it's actually more important than the, than the rules. The rules is just about making sure everyone knows what they're responsible for. So that there's no two ways about if something didn't get done that day, then who was responsible for getting that done. Sorry, go on. Yeah, you know, role definition, it all depends on the show. The, the, the biggest problem I've ever had with role definition is with double-headed males, because they can sound so similar, uh, especially if they sit from the same, you know, they've got the same accent. And then it's really important that they, 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 they know what they stand for. But everyone on the show 
regardless of, of that, should know what they stand for. And it's almost a separate thing. The functionality. Yeah. But like the life stories. Well, that's fine. You can, look, you call it what you like, but as long as you've got something written down that says, this is what I've got to bring to the party every day. And, um, and it, yeah, the, the producer will always have to soak up anything. But bringing those life stories to the show, that's the tough one trying to get presenters to bring their lives onto the air uh, with relatable material uh, and things that will connect with the listener. That's, that's the tough one. Sorry, John. Uh, I apologize profusely to interject, but we're running out of time. You I didn't know perhaps, where that voice came you from. You perhaps uh, wrap up, please. Thank you. <laughs> Amen. Yeah, it's 10.30. Yes. So we're wrapping up, right? Yes, please. Okay, well, I'm just going to do a bit of a hook and a tease here because I'm going to be back and I'm going to be talking about the target listener. You can't hit the bullseye if you don't know where the target is. So we're going to be talking about that and the power of personality. Find out more this afternoon when I return at 10 to 4. Go get some coffee. Thank you.